0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning?
1: Yeah, I'm ticking along. I was so excited for sunshine yesterday and then it was raining on my way, but then I'm seeing blue sky again. So, you know what? You know people say weather is a small talk thing? It's 100% something I'd love to talk about. Because it, like, fully changes my day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, hey, small talk thing or not, it's what we all talk about. You know, it's universal. Every culture in the world, whenever you get together with people, you talk Just about the weather, weather. and yeah. eat food. Uh, yeah. That's what people do when they get together. That's
1: right. Yeah. I Discuss really. the weather. Yeah.
0: It, it must some be food. something that, you know, has sort of become ingrained into us because the weather has such dramatic effects on everything that we do. Oh, Yeah. Maybe a little bit less for some of us than what it was in the past where, you know, our survival, our day-to-day survival was based on the weather patterns. (laughs) But it still affects everything that you do and it it affects how you think. It affects Mm. your plans for the days. It's affecting my plan for the day right now. My thankfulness this morning is that the forecast is for the rain that we're having right now to just be a bit of coastal drizzle because I've got plans for out west where I live and and those plans involve... It not raining. It's not
1: raining, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Those plans aren't going to go so well if it is raining.
1: How are you feeling apart from that, apart from being thankful?
0: Oh, I'm always uh, blessed.
1: Are you not? Like, what, like as in, are there ever days when you're like, oh, it's not a good day? Yes. Okay.
0: But there are never days that I'm not blessed.
1: Oh, 100%. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I relate, I relate. I'm just curious because I'm like, oh, maybe it's because it's radio. And I'm like, man, you're always, like, amazing. I'm like, oh, I'm sleepy, I'm thinking.
0: (laughs) How can a person not be amazing when God is still on his throne?
1: Oh, 100%. I'm not disagreeing. I'm
0: just (laughs) just intrigued. You're just trying to get me to be more real. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Hey, what's happening in the world of positively different news? Oh,
1: you know what? I just have to share this story. So a teenager, he's 19, he has just woken up from a 10-month-long coma, so he has no recollection or knowledge of lockdown or coronavirus or anything.
0: Maybe that's how we all should have done (laughs) lockdown.
1: Just have a big sleep.
0: (laughs) And he's like, yeah, COVID's coming around. Uh, We'll just sleep for the next 10 months. I think he probably wouldn't have chosen that option, but... No.
1: And look... Obviously so the reason he was in a coma he had a very he was in a very serious car accident and has mm. obviously has some serious brain injury as well as other physical injury mm. so it is pretty serious that said it's very exciting for the family that he has woken up
0: 10 months is a decent stint
1: That's a solid and you know and so he's still having to learn to kind of communicate um you know just use his body again so just blinking and writing you know just that sort of motor skills sort of things. Um, but, yeah, his auntie said that it's been interesting trying to explain it to him. How do you explain a pandemic to someone who slept through it? You wake up to a world of lockdowns and face masks and uh, the world going a bit crazy, um, and he's got no recollection of this.
0: What would it be like, I wonder, to wake up from a 10-month sleep? Mm, be weird. I mean, global culture has changed. Oh, yeah. In the last 10 months. Mm. Yeah, you know, we don't shake hands and hug and all that kind of stuff anymore, much. No. You know, that's kind of like we do it a little bit, but not like we used to.
1: No, I know people are more sceptical about. Oh, are, are we hugging? I'm always going to be like, yes, we're hugging. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but this is—I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've had times where I've fallen asleep on the same day. And I've woken up confused because I think it's the next day. You know, like I have a cheeky nap that I don't mean to have. Yes. And then I'm like, oh, it's the next day I'm late for work. No, no, it's the same day.
0: Yes. Or you wake up and it's bright sunshine because you had a cheeky nap in the afternoon. And it's like, wow, wait a (laughs) minute. (laughs) What's (laughs) happened?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Why is the
0: sun in the middle of the sky?
1: (laughs) It makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so I hope all goes well for him. Yeah, we need to be
0: praying for this guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, But as I said, it is very exciting for his family that he has woken up. Um, long recovery, I'm sure. Okay, and another good news story. So old uniforms from police, paramedics and firefighters are being recycled to create bright, fun clothing for disadvantaged children from 1PCYC in Queensland. Um, I really like this because, you know, some of the police officers said when they have old uniforms that aren't being used, it's nice that they're being used. It also has created a bit of a cool dynamic um, in the community where it's like the seniors, some of the seniors are helping, you know, unpick things and take this off and do a bit of this. So you have a bit of a community activity going on. And then you also have the kids who, you know, you're giving it to. Uh, So they've come on board with uniforms for kids, which is a Mount Isa-based charity. Um, The PCYC Sergeant Bernardin Straw, I think. So the program is not only beneficial for, yeah, the recipients of the clothing, but all those involved in sewing them as well. And uh, each of the pieces must be made up of at least 50% of donated uniform, but it can be designed with endless creativity for the rest of the item. Most of the other also donated fabrics, um, you know, are bright and colourful. And then, as well as that, it also, each piece has a tag attached to it with a photo and the name of the officer who donated the uniform, furthering the connection and communication between emergency services and children.
0: That's cool. Which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool because otherwise it's just like secondhand clothing. It's just
1: clothes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, more than 17,000 pieces have been made and given out to those in need. They go to domestic violence units, to hospitals, to children's wards, to foster families, community groups, and church groups who are connected. And the response from the children is also overwhelming, says the director of uniforms for kids, Ian McDonald. Some of them, you know, don't take them off for a week in case someone takes it. Or also some kids, you know, if they dislike something, they'll just wear it every day. Um, and yeah, so they're just seeing some really cool kind of connections that are happening in the community. Um, which, I, look, I, I like connections between people. I'm like, yeah, that's us we be friends. <laughs> um, in another news story, I don't even know how to pronounce, pronounce this, but Nudie Branch. Yes, Nudie Branch. Yeah, you know what that is, sea slugs?
0: Absolutely. They're cool. They're awesome things.
1: Yeah, they're pretty interesting. I've
0: only ever seen them once or twice, but they are amazing.
1: Yeah, I've seen them in pictures.
0: (laughs) I've seen them in real life and i was like, that's a nudie
1: branch. I know what that is. That's even cooler. Uh, But yeah, so they come in a range of dazzling colours and unusual shapes apparently, and they think that they're key indicators to the health of our environment. Uh, The annual sea slug census, which I love that that's a thing, um, (laughs) runs at a range of Australian locations from the Gold Coast to Melbourne and offshore on Lord Howe Island. It started in 2013 and since then it recorded 631 species. Professor Smith, who started the program, said the changing um, distinction of sea slugs provides evidence of how the climate shifts, like it shows the change of strength and frequency in the East Australian current, including the impact of change of water temperature, you know, just, just general ocean things. And they're hoping that sea slugs might be a primary catalyst to help foster conservation of marine biodiversity in a changing world. I just think it's so interesting that nature can give you these little clues. You need
0: to get down to the ocean and you need to find yourself a nudie branch. They are amazing.
1: Look, I believe it. You know where I'm going for This is a bit of a side note, but I'm going down to Tasmania for my placement in school in a few weeks. Cool. Um, And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm going to explore so much. Not that these will be there. But other wildlife, which I never get to see up where I live, I'm like, I'm going to explore.
0: <laughs> you going to Hilliard?
1: Is that Hobart? a place or a school? Uh, no, nah, a penguin.
0: Penguin. Oh, at penguin. The top. There you go.
1: North, yeah. Okay, cool. But, you know, nice. I'll try to explore what I can.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll
1: be down there for some weekends. This always. I time. will
0: forgive you for going north.
1: Oh, where are you from?
0: The south, of course.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> There's some rivalry here, among the <laughs> north and south. There down
0: there, but it always used to be when I was a kid. There was plenty of north south rivalry. If you're listening into Tasma in Tasmania, give us a call. Let us know. Do they, <laughs> does that, do that, is that still a thing? You know, do people down south still make jokes about the Tamar, and do people up north <laughs> still make t- jokes about the Derwent, as to which one is the faster flowing mud? Um, th- those are rivers.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> faster flowing mud. This is an interesting place. <laughs>
0: Uh, Very good. Okay, so look forward to your time down in Tasmania. Mm. I think that's amazing, a very, very wise choice right there, of course. (laughs) You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
1: I think we're on to you. You've got some news to share.
0: Yeah, I do. I do. I do (laughs) need news to see. Okay, so the Catholic education um, system in the United States has just closed 200 schools. That's pretty big um, and there's been a whole bunch of factors that have come into that. And so the first one at the top of the list has been uh, COVID and school fees, people being out of work as a result of COVID and not being able to pay the school mm-hmm. fees and being able to send their kids to private education. Uh, the second thing has been, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, the uptake of homeschooling as a result of COVID. So there's a whole slew, a whole bunch of parents out there that have kind of been pushed into homeschooling by COVID and gone, you know what, this is not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we can handle this. And so why are we paying, you know, $5,000 US a year? That's pretty cheap compared to Australia, I guess, but uh, for our kids to go to primary school or $10,000 a year for them to go to high school. And so they're just continuing with the... Uh Homeschooling. And others are saying, well, you know, the school's actually been closed for half of the year yeah. and kids have just been doing it by Zoom. Mm. So, you know, why are we paying money for that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: there's a whole bunch of uh, financial uh, reasons that are coming into this. What's interesting, though, is that this drop is not mirrored in other private schools.
1: Oh, that is interesting, actually.
0: And so that seems to be a continual uh, bleeding of Catholic schools as a result of the you know sex abuse crisis and so forth but in the 1960s this is interesting in the 1960s there were 5 million students in the catholic education system in the united states in 2021 there is 1.6 that's a big drop. In 1970, there were 11,000 schools in 2021. There are just under 6,000. That's nearly half That's as many huge. schools within that particular system. Okay, so the uh, biggest areas that uh, Catholic education system has dropped has been LA with a uh, 12.3% drop. Uh, New York, and this is just in one year, uh, New York City, 11.1%. And in Chicago, 8.2% drop. There have been some cities where that has been the reverse uh, in which uh, there's actually been an increase and those are in those cities with very high Hispanic immigration. Mm. And so they've actually had slight increases. Now, what has been really interesting is that the drop across the board has been 2.5% amongst secondary students 8.1% amongst primary students and, wait for it, 26.6% drop amongst kindy. That's
1: significant.
0: And so really what that does reflect is a lot of parents who are figuring out that they can actually do this by themselves at home because, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your kindy and primary classes are much easier for a parent to be able to teach and to manage as a homeschooler. Yeah, yeah. And so I look at those kind of figures right there and I'm thinking, you know, that's not such a bad thing.
1: I know I was just thinking that when you were saying that I was like, "Oh, that's not a bad idea actually." Like, yeah, this just- is this is
0: this is this is reflecting some actually some good things yeah. that are coming out of COVID. Mm. Uh, I think it's terrible that we send our kids to school uh, so young. I didn't go to school until I was eight years old. I was just roaming the bush and being a kid up Mm. until I was eight and it had zero effect on my education. Mm. In fact, I would say that it increased my education because too often we let school get in the way of a good education.
1: Mm, Fully.
0: Education is the most valuable thing that you can attain in life. Yes. But it comes in many more forms than just school and I'm hoping that people actually see that.
1: And you know what I think homeschooling also can allow for is I remember reading this quote once and it said something along the lines of how we're educating kids at three to be seven instead of educating a three-year-old to be a a three-year-old so that they're ready to be a four-year-old when they're four years old. And I was like, that's totally true. Uh Like how many things do you see advertised of like, prepare your kid for school? I'm like, just let them learn in other ways, man. Like yes, kids will problem solve if you let them out in the bush and they want to build a cubby house. I mean, you're going to be like you're set. Might fall down, but you're having a fun time exploring. Built aren't so you? many
0: of those things. I think they all fell down. Oh, same. But it was fun.
1: I also built some good ones though. When I was like 9, 10, Oh man, my friends and I we were the best cubby house builders. It was like a solid. Like what week. did you use? I don't even know, just whatever was in the yard. Whatever like, you could find. Yeah, I think like, dragged out we had some random bricks. We had some random pieces of metal. We had some wood. We had some just random thing. But we used to, just, on occasion, my parents didn't really love it, but we'd try like sneak out and sleep out there. We'd cook breakfast out there. Like We were like, nah, this is going to be a house.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, we'd go up the bush and we'd uh, build a cubby house, light a fire and yeah. cook damper
1: the best yeah
0: you know how many kids actually do that kind of thing these days
1: i don't know but if they don't they're missing out
0: they're so missing out so missing out i had such a great childhood i was blessed
1: yeah i believe okay. you were
0: <laughs> all right the uh, heart foundation has just released their released their largest well-being survey ever uh, one in 3 australians report having poor health oh pretty high
1: that's super high
0: 14% only 14% of australians eat enough fruit and veg Um, according to the guidelines of the Heart Foundation. Uh, One in three Australians think that healthy food is too expensive. Aye. Now, that's really bizarre. Interesting. Because i tell you right now, I've been a red meat eater and now I'm a vegetarian and it is so much cheaper to buy vegetables than it is to buy meat.
1: Maybe that's the point. Maybe they're still not buying veggies. They're buying packaged stuff. Maybe. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise.
0: Yeah. Um one in four say that eating healthy is takes too much time. Hmm. Uh, if eating healthy takes too much time then your time is being used up too much and it's time to slow down and find some more time. Yeah. Your life is too full. Okay, okay, so um they've teamed up with a number of people here to have a bit of a health push uh through the um for the next 4 weeks. And so they've teamed up with Coles I'm not sure how ethical Coles is, but anyway, that be the case. I'm always up for a good deal when a good deal comes. Uh, Olympic champion uh, Sally Pearson, um, AFL, Heart Foundation, uh, the Kitchen Garden Foundation and the Resilience Project, they've all teamed up. And so over the next month they're going to have a big health push. That's a good idea. Always support that. Uh, And apparently, I'd love to hear your reports on this. Uh, Let us know whether it's a thing or not but this is what we're told, uh, double flybys on vegetables from Coles, half price on lots of healthy food, uh, free recipes giving out, uh, expert advice and so forth. So, yeah. That's good. If that's actually happening, then I'll support that. Mm. i I, never going to argue against uh, healthy eating. Meanwhile, we have a vegan influencer on social media, who has stated that meat-eating is comparable to the World War II genocide of the Jews.
1: Whoa, 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 what? What?
0: (laughs) That just went from the sane to the insane real fast, didn't it? That's... And this is one of the things that really frustrates me is when we mix up good health and good eating Mm. with some crazy ideas. Yeah. Uh, this is James Aspie. He's an Australian with 253,000 uh, followers on Instagram. Um, and he posts pictures of Hitler and Jews in concentration camp beside animals and so forth. And really this is what we get when we mix, when we when we take an evolutionary model of um, the, the origin of, you know, our world compared to a creation model. So the evolutionary model – we're all just brute beasts we're nothing diff- we're no different than from any other animal and mm. all animals have equal rights and equal value
1: yeah
0: uh, the creation model of course is that we have been created as a higher order of moral beings in communication with god who have been entrusted with the management of our earth yeah the problem is that we are now managing an earth that has been overtaken by evil and because of that, and this is one of the things that vegans often miss out on, is that you will kill a lot more animals being a vegetarian than being a meat eater.
1: Oh, mm, interesting.
0: Because of all the pesticides you have to use and all of the bugs you have to kill, you know. We're still doing it wrong, aren't we? More. We
1: still haven't got it. Like I reckon just, guys, let's get like – Gardens in our schools, gardens in your home. Like, I'm not saying let's go back to the stone age. I'm just saying Let's
0: get the gardens going and let's teach kids how to uh, just have some balance in their life. Absolutely. To manage the earth and to be good for the environment. uh, And you're going to have to kill some insects in the process. Sorry about that. (laughs) You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right. Joining us on the phone this morning is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, guys, and good morning to your listeners.
0: David, great to have you on the show again as we do each Wednesday. And we've been talking a little bit about conflict resolution and uh, those kinds of issues. We wanted to talk this morning um, about forgiveness and the role that forgiveness plays in conflict resolution. How does this actually work?
2: It's a very interesting topic because there is so much confusion. Let's imagine that uh, my child is being sexually abused by someone. What does forgiveness look like there? My relatives are killed by uh, terrorists. How does forgiveness look?
0: We're often um, told, David, so- um, if I could just jump in for a moment, to forgive and forget. Now, forgiveness yeah. is very strongly spoken of in the Bible, but, you know, in the case of, say, for instance, uh, a child being abused by a pedophile, does the Bible say that we also must forget?
2: Those are some of the questions that we struggle with. You know, yeah. does forgiveness mean that I just walk away from it and uh, I just, you know, my father would bring me and my older brother together as kids when we would have a fight, and... Um, after disciplining us, he would say, "Right, kiss each other," and uh, you could have just as well put some boxing gloves on our lips uh, because that is the way that we would, you know, kiss each other. Uh, the, the, the conflict, uh, the forgiveness was there, but the conflict was not there, so uh, or, or was not removed. So the question is, was that true forgiveness? Mm-hmm. We so often uh, find that in um, in our homes, couples would say okay, I'll forgive you, but they have never resolved the issue between them, and that issue keeps on coming back up. Um, what I would like to say to your listeners is that there needs to be two components to every forgiveness, and that is a heart component and a transactional component. In other words, the heart component in forgiveness centers all about my relationship with God. In other words, it is a decision that I make before God that I will set the other one free. But that doesn't mean that that person is forgiven yet because there needs to be a transactional relationship between me and that other person whereby they ask for for forgiveness and we work through the issues towards a resolution of the problem.
0: With forgiveness, does forgiveness mean that, you know, when we forgive somebody, that we have, you know, uh, I I guess, um, walked away from the possibility of that person suffering consequences? So, for instance, if we choose to forgive somebody who's committed a crime against us, does that mean that that person, uh, when, when we are now no longer, we are choosing not to send them to jail, for instance?
2: You're really pushing for the end uh, of of my little talk. Uh, (laughs) I'm getting too far ahead. (laughs) All right, take it away, David. Let let me pull back a little bit, if you don't mind. Let's talk for a moment what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is neither a feeling, nor forgetting, nor is it excusing the wrong that has been done. What forgiveness is, it is a forgiveness is a decision modeled after God's forgiveness for us. A decision not to hold an offense against the offender. So coming back to your question, does this therefore mean that when a pedophile abuses my child or if my teenager uh, breaks a family rule that there will be no more consequences? Forgiveness in these kind of situations is where I actually set that person free from taking or creating a root of bitterness in my own heart, right? Mm. But there is a definite consequence when someone embezzles money in the workplace. Is there consequences to that? Yes, definitely. Now, there are times that I can choose to look over an offense. My spouse has spoken harshly towards me. I can in actual fact choose there not to react, not to respond to that. But there are certain things in our world where there has to be certain consequences. One of them is childhood sexual abuse. One is embezzlement. When my teenager is breaking family rules, uh, it sometimes works to their favor if they experience the consequences. But does that mean that I hold it against them in my heart? This is where the heart transaction is so important because the heart transaction is in actual fact not between me and that other person. It's actually between me and God where I make a choice between me and God that I will let that person free from having control of my emotions and my heart and for bitterness to start to grow in my heart. I actually choose to set them free from that and therefore opens the way for a more transactional component where I'm open the moment that I say, I'm sorry, I know that I've done wrong. uh, Please, can we work through this? that we actually work to a transactional um, resolving of the conflict. So often, we do either the one or the other, and we, we, we notice that the uh, conflict is never really uh, brought to a resolution if not both of those components is in place. But that doesn't mean that there's no consequences. So if
0: I was to think of a biblical example, and I might be running ahead of you again here, but if I think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they, they sin against God, And God has said, you know, the wages of sin is death. If you eat from, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. When they sin against God, God makes the covenant with them, which is a covenant of forgiveness. And they receive forgiveness for their sin at that particular time. But they also die, they also pay the consequences of their actions.
2: Is that similar to what we're talking about here? So while God actually makes a heart covenant, he actually makes a decision that he will set them free in his heart, which leads to a transactional relationship. In other words, he he decides that he will not keep it against him, which activates him to send his son, which is the the promise is already given in a microcosm in Genesis chapter 3, to send his son to this earth. To prepare the way for complete restoration, but that doesn't mean that there's no consequence. You're 100 percent correct.
1: It's kind of interesting with forgiveness, though. Oh well, you can tell me your thoughts on this, David and Lyle. But I was talking to someone a little while ago, and we're saying there's something to forgiveness that even when consequences given or received or whatever to the person who's offended in whatever way, there's still an element of mercy involved. Because to a degree, like someone does something to me, say, and I can choose to forgive them or whatever. There's an element where I'm choosing to bear that wound, where I'm choosing to go. I'm not going to hold this against you for forever. You know, like if I'm forgiving you, I'm not going to get amnesia. But there's a point where I'm not going to make this all you are for the rest of our interaction. Does that make sense? Like,
2: which that, I find that is very. Sorry, you got oh, you're I was just
1: going to say I find it really interesting like if we look at the way God treats us and obviously we're human but where God goes man I'm going to remember your sins no more like I'm going to cast them for the east is from the west that's a hard thing for us to do but there's we do see that that's kind of yeah God goes yep there's going to be consequences that you will receive but if you're willing to be forgiven it's never going to be what you should have received
2: does that, that make sense? Correct. that's correct and and that is where the heart component in forgiveness comes in. And and that is not a relationship, that's not a decision that is based on how that person is acting towards you or ask for forgiveness. It is actually a decision that you have to work through between you and God. That I'm willing to carry that wound. Years back, two of my relatives were brutally murdered in Africa. Uh, five years later, I took a group of young uh, uh, graduates back to that same community where those people came from to work with them to set up community programs and uh, running a, a, a gospel evangelistic campaign amongst those same people. The wrestle happened in my heart. Not once have we faced those uh, people that have done those atrocities and they've asked for us for forgiveness. It was a decision that was made, a wrestle between me and God where that decision came. I I carry that wound, but I refuse to hold it against those people. Mm. Now, is there consequences to that? Yes, definitely. Is there a wound in my heart? Very much so. But it's not a wound that causes bitterness anymore. It's not a wound that I now will use against that individual.
0: There's a theme that we constantly see coming through Hollywood which is the theme of I guess redemptive violence mm. where people find redemption, mm. they find closure, they find healing by bringing retribution on the person who has wronged them uh, yeah. is, is, is that a thing? you know do people find closure you know if, if uh, would you find closure if you if you managed to track down the uh, murderers of your family and to murder them?
2: It's very interesting in the counselling room to see the embitterment with which people live their entire life uh, because of what someone else has done to, towards them. Uh, it means in reality that they are the captives for the rest of their life. Those individuals are in control of them, even if you've you know had retribution. If if, if that that revenge, we say revenge is sweet, really. There's a heavy price that we pay when we want revenge. It's interesting that in uh, Genesis 50, that Joseph says that to his brothers that have wronged him so much, he says, am I in the place of God? In other words, God is the one that will actually bring to account that which other people have done against us. We can say them free. And we see in the story of Joseph that he sets them free. He actually discovers that in his greatest pain, God was actually crafting him for a very unique ministry to save people's lives. And that is a principle that I would like to share with your, uh, your listeners. A principle that I live by and a principle that really sets you free from that hatred that can hold you back. And activates you to live a life free, but it's not uh, peace faking. It is real peace in your own heart.
0: Mm. I've heard it said that refusing to forgive somebody and you know is like letting them live rent free mm. in your in
2: your in your mind. They control you, and they, <laughs> that's a very good statement, Lyle, And that is so true. And it's interesting that people that live with what is what does the psalmist say? Their bones dry up. What is formed in our large bones, it is in the bone marrow, our blood, cells. It's interesting that medical science says that those, uh, that bone marrow start to dry up, start to produce less red blood cells. And therefore, we actually damage ourselves by holding on to holding on to the revenge and anger, mm. it is allowing people to live and control us for the rest of their life.
0: David, uh, David Haupt, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. I think that that was a really important piece to look at, and I think that we really need to, as we consider forgiveness and forgiving the people who have wronged us, to take these issues to God in prayer because he is the person who can change our hearts and and draw us near to him um, so that we can actually truly forgive people for what they have done wrong and be able to move on with our lives and find closure. Thank you, David. Thanks
2: for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.